experiment Make it your model day and night Experiment And it will lead you to the light Before you leave these ports To meet less fortunate mortals There's just one final message I would give to you We all have learned reliance On the sacred teachings of science So I hope through life you never will decline In spite of Philistine defiance To do what other scientists do Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, December 20th, 2020. A lot of 20s there. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Encore Magazine, Masterworks, Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. So, Peter, we're getting towards the end of the year and I, you know, we, we're all about the numbers here. How many shows have you seen this year? Oh, I only do it by season, so I can. Oh, by season, sure. that's right. Yeah. So as a result, um, tomorrow I will be seeing the twelfth show of the season, <clears throat> and that is um, at Food for Thought Productions, um, and a Gurney play, The Love Course. Uh, now, this is a play about a female professor who's. Uh, loves uh, literature, but also loves um, uh, one of her colleagues. Um, and she's fallen in love with him through the books that she's uh, been teaching. And uh, now it's the last class of the year, and we'll see what happens as a result of that. Uh, Larry Pine, uh, an actor I've admired so many times, especially at the public theater, and Lila Robbins, a big favorite of mine, uh, who mm. has done marvelous work, not only in the city, but also phenomenal work for the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey, uh, a terrific uh, actress and um, so they're going to be doing it uh, tomorrow at two o'clock at theater 80 st mark's um anthony marcellus is directing again susan charlotte's go-to terrific director and um it is free so how can you go wrong uh two o'clock theater 80 st mark's that's on eighth street in, in essence um and, and near first avenue so um, I think you should be there. I'm going to be there. Uh, my girlfriend's going to be there with me. Uh, we've been to every one of Susan Charlotte's productions. She's <laughs> represented four of the 12 shows I've seen this season. So uh, I'm very grateful that she does it. And she always does a wonderful work and gets people to come out to uh, do wonderful work for her. So, um, so I'm enthusiastic. And, of course, I always love uh, seeing any Gurney play. And this is one that's new to me because I think I've mentioned this before. Even though I have interviewed many Oscar winners, many Tony winners, many Emmy winners, and a few Grammy winners. <laughs> um, the greatest thrill for me was meeting Lucy, who was Gurney's dog, <laughs> with the prototype for Sylvia. <laughs> I mean, I really felt I was in the presence of theatrical royalty. So, <laughs> so he was a great guy. He really was. He was such fun. Um, and uh, he was the first. I, I, I went to interview him about a play that uh, he was doing at the George Street Playhouse. And um, I said, how did this happen? He said, well, um, David Saint, the artistic director, said to me, um, do you have anything new? 
And I said, well, David, I, I have a play that I did a reading of, and it really laid an egg. So I don't know if you want to see, you know, I mean, he was so honest about things like that. So I don't know what he thought about the love course, which is, again, what I'll be seeing tomorrow. But I hope he liked it. I suspect he did. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at filespotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. Also with us is a very special guest. Natalie Douglas is with us. Natalie is a true force in nature and in a league of her own. Um, <laughs> this was said by Clive Davis of the Times UK in his two five-star review of different London appearances. We have multiple Mac Award winner with us, and we're going to talk about Sondheim Unplugged, which is coming up on 54 Below, uh, streaming now. Uh, so, Natalie, thanks for joining us on Broadway Radio. Thank you for having me. Good morning, kids. <laughs> Good morning. So tell us about the uh, Sondheim Unplugged thing that's coming up. Uh, um, I'm so excited. It's uh, a lovely program. You know, Phil Jeffrey Bond began it um, 10 years ago now uh, with the first Sondheim Unplugged when Stephen Sondheim turned 80. And there was that, you know, sort of rush of performances, concerts, celebrations. Um, and Phil went to, I think, it, one of the concerts, one of the orchestral events, and thought as he was leaving, you know, this is such a wonderful, like, this was gorgeous, this was fantastic, but wouldn't it be great to hear these songs with just voice and piano, like, just stripped away to the music? So he did the, the first Sondheim Unplugged concert um, that summer. And um, we, it was so popular, and we all had such a good time doing it, too, that um, it became a series. And for a while, he did, I think that summer, the first summer, he did, like, a, one a month, maybe, um, mm -hmm. every couple of weeks. Um, then it, it morphed into a monthly occurrence. So um, for about 10 years, he does one Sunday a month at uh, 54 Below, Fine Sign 54 Below, and invites um, this sort of roster of us. Um, and we, we get to sing, you know, the Maestro's Great Work, which is really, really fun. And it's always a, a revolving cast, too, you know. And so when they began this... Um, streaming series, which of course began earlier this month with uh, Laura Osnes's Princess Party, um, and would then continued with Norm Lewis's annual holiday show. Um, then this was the third installment in the their streaming series. Um, so I'm really, really lucky. I get to appear with um, Tiala Reed and Tally the Young and Darius de Haas and Lucia Spina. And, you know, we get to sing our favorite Sondheiminess, which is. Aha, just so you get to choose what you're going to sing? No. Oh. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. Um, actually, I think. Back in the day, like, like 10 years ago now, <laughs> I think we all sent a list. If I recall correctly, Phil emailed and said, what Sondheim do you know? <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, 
And I, I sent back a list of everything that I knew, you know, and over the years, he's asked me to do one or more of those tunes from time to time. Um, and a couple of times he has, um, because Phil does such research and usually ties them together in terms of the show from whence they come, you know. Um, so sometimes he needs a song from a particular show because mm, he wants, yeah. he wants, you know, a few years ago, um, he was doing a, uh, anyone can whistle and so he didn't have anyone on the program that particular sunday who um was gonna sing trumpets so he wrote me a couple of days before the show and said <laughs> can you possibly learn there won't be trumpets before sunday to which of course i said no um, but because <laughs> you know learning song time in two days is not easy but um but i did it and and <laughs> And then I wound up singing it and fell in love with it, you know, because it's it's always there's so many Sondheim songs that, you know, we know and love, but I ne haven't necessarily sung myself. Um, and, and it's always daunting to pick up one of those because they are, you know, particular. Um, but it was a lot of fun. So I have learned some songs for Phil for the the um, the series. And then there are things that I've just sung my entire life. Um, all right. Now, what does Sondheim mean to you? When were you first aware that there was such a person as Stephen Sondheim? Oh, um, you know, I think it was probably, hmm, I, I, that's such a good question. I don't recall not knowing there was such mm. a thing as Stephen uh. Sondheim. Um, my parents had this fantastic record collection when oh. I was a kid, and um, it was it was really eclectic um it, you know there was plenty of ray charles and nina simone and nancy wilson but also you know mom's mabley comedy records uh -huh. and um um janice Joplin and um this one section that was devoted to show tunes you know mm -hmm. and so they had cast albums um oklahoma and south pacific and um Follies and Little Night Music, and really? you know, I it was all just part of my come home from school um, and play records until my parents got home. You know, um, so sometimes it was the Giselle McKenzie Christmas album, which uh -huh. I really loved. Um, had no idea who she was because you know it was well past the time she was on television, but I knew I loved her Christmas album. Um, you know, and and so it was just all part of that. You know, I would sort of ride home thinking about what I wanted to listen to that day. And uh -huh. um, sometimes it was um, the Eagles and Linda Ronstadt, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes it was Barbara Cook. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it was all just part of my growing up uh, melting pot of music. Yes, and all of that, uh, I'm sure, accounts largely for the fact that Natalie has become famous, justly famous, for her tribute shows <laughs> that she has been doing for years now to everyone from Nina Simone to, didn't you do one for Elvis? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> you know, uh, I surely did. Yeah, really, really great stuff and, and critically you. lauded. And, and, just, and so Sondheim is, I guess, just another... Um, facet of of your interest and and ability well yeah i mean i just i love music i i'm um very much a follower of the words of duke ellington who said you know there are only two kinds of music good and bad and um and and i irrespective of genre you know um right. i like lots and lots of kinds of music and um sometimes just so uh literate 
Mm. And um, but also emotionally truthful, you know, and that means that you can always find a way to tap into it. Um, even if it isn't exactly your story, even if your personal life doesn't line up precisely with the story you're telling in any particular song, um, it's emotionally accessible whilst it's being, you know, really, really clever and, and really, really wordy and sometimes, you know, philosophical, um, but, but there's still a core of emotional truth and that makes it easy to jump inside. Are you from England? No. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Los Angeles. <laughs> I, I've, I've never heard uh, an American use whilst before. Uh, oh, <laughs> ah. I, I have, <laughs> um, I have a couple of weird, um, um, uh, what do I <laughs> language idiosyncrasies? I guess um, I that's one of them. I had an aunt who um, spent much of her life in the UK. Um, though uh-huh. she was originally from, she was my dad's sister. Um, so she was originally from Texas, and she married a Scotsman and lived in the UK and Jerusalem for a while, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, by the time I met her, she was a retired, much older lady. Um, she had retired to Northern California, and she was my favorite. She was sort of my auntie Mame, you know, uh. um, my aunt Anne. And she had a couple of affectations, um, like using whilst that I just adored. I thought it was really fun, so I did. <laughs> and, <laughs> and sometimes I still do. <laughs> it flies out. Um, you know, it just just an odd thing I picked up from Auntie Anne. So. <laughs> Um, when you were growing up, was uh, New York a goal early on, or did it come later? Uh, Absolutely. Um, uh-huh. It was, I mean, I had never been here. My father used to say that, um, you know, he had a good time in New York shortly after World War II and, and <laughs> hadn't been back and didn't need to go back. Um <laughs> My parents were both from Texas, um, and we traveled a lot as a kid. We went on a lot of vacations, but never to the East Coast, never to New York. So it was someplace I always wanted to see, and um, like so many kids, I grew up watching it in movies and uh, TV shows. Um, like, you know, I love Lucy reruns and um, That Girl and that sort of thing, and I wanted to come and see it. Um, so well, I had friends who came here after college, and I came to visit them in uh, 86, 87, I guess. And um, I fell in love the second I got off the plane. I mean, mm. I just, I felt at home in a way that um, I knew I would live here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How wonderful. And uh, your first nightclub gig was? Ah, my first, well, um, I sang in a piano bar on that first trip, that first vacation. We went to a piano bar um, that no longer exists on the Upper West Side, Broadway Baby. Um, my girlfriend, the ki- girls I knew who had moved here, um, had found a place for me to sing. Um, Cause I, I sang around, um, I went to UCLA and USC and I sang around campus and coffee shops and a steakhouse and that sort of thing. Um, and so she had found someplace I could sing in New York city and we went there and um, I jumped in on the open mic and sang and um, 
the person on the piano that night was Ricky Ritzel. Uh. And he was working the next night at Brandy's. So he said, you know, come visit me across the park um, at this other piano bar and I'll let you sing over there too. So we went over there the next night late and I sang and Julie Shepard was the waitress. And she came over to me after I sang and said, Danny wants to talk to you. And I thought, who's Danny? Okay. And um, she, she brought me over to the bar and Danny Brack was the then manager, sweet late Danny. I adored him. And he said, do you want a job? Wow. And I said, I don't live here. I live in LA. I'm just visiting my friends who live here. And he said, move here and I'll give you a job. Wow. And I said, Oh, okay. Uh, sure. So um, it took me about a year and a half, but I did. I moved here and he gave me a job. Um, so my first piano bar gig was uh, in 88, March of 88. Um, and then my first cabaret show was, I think about a year later, March or April of 89. Did you stay in touch with Danny during that year and a half? Or did you just show up 18 months later and say, here I am? I did. I just showed up 18 months later. Um, yeah. I, no, I didn't stay in touch with him. I didn't, it, it didn't occur to me to get his phone number. You know, um, I had the mailing address of the club, of course. But um, I just showed up. And luckily for me, the timing was perfect. He had just lost a waitress who um, w had gotten the West Side Story tour in Europe. Uh -huh. um, so he gave me Tuesdays and Wednesdays on a temporary basis until she came back. Uh, and I was there for 20 years. So he remembered you immediately? Yes, he did. Wow. Yeah. All right. When did you realize um, as a kid, was it um, like when you were 5, 10, 15, that you had a voice, that you could do this? Um, I, actually, I don't know that I realized that when I was a kid. I, I knew I wanted it. Uh -huh. um, and I, my mom taught me to sing when I was four, so I've always uh -huh. sung. Um, and I loved it. And the people would ask me to sing at you know, occasions, events, parties. Um, but I don't know that I really knew that I could do it mm -hmm. until, um, I mean, I got, you know, I got parts in school and I got accolades um, from uh, teachers and other students and won awards and stuff. But I, I still kind of thought it was this thing I did that people who knew me liked. Um, and it wasn't until um, the... Shortly before I moved here, actually, in the, the mid-80s, in uh, early 80s, in college, um, we would go to a bar down in downtown L.A. called um, the Neon Bar. I can't remember the exact name. But it was like a total dive, really that kind of cool place that you always want to find yourselves in. And, um, you know, the kind of place that doesn't card people. And, um, <laughs> was, we, I was 16 when I went to college, so I was kind of a baby. Um, and we would go there. They had a no-talent night. And uh, <laughs> people would get up and and do all kinds of random things, sing, spoken word, you know, juggle, whatever. Um, <laughs> and I would sign up and I'd get on that list and get up and sing two songs, a cappella. And after a while, there were these occasions that the audience would clap and they wouldn't let me leave. They would, you know, sort of mm -hmm. insist on another song. And I realized then, because, you know, I had friends in the house, but like three or four or five, you know, yeah. and that this was a packed bar of people that didn't know me mm -hmm. and they wanted to hear me sing. And I, that's when I started to think, wait, Oh, uh, wait, Oh, I could do this. Uh, okay. Um, huh. You know? Um, so 
I started taking those those coffee gigs, coffee shop gigs a little more seriously and, you know, steakhouse singing. And I started singing sort of everywhere. For quite some time now, Natalie has been, I would say, pretty much in residence at Birdland. Mm-hmm. And actually, therein lies a story. Uh, you know, as we all know, in March, uh, live performance pretty much shut down <laughs> in, yeah. in the city and, and, and elsewhere. Uh, but some places had made a valiant effort to begin again. And, and um, Birdland was one of them, I believe, in the, in the downstairs theater. Isn't that correct? Yes. Uh-huh. Correct. Because, uh, because the downstairs theater is, is more recent and uh, as it was explained to me, the ventilation system is more uh, up to code and, and other reasons why they wanted to use the, the downstairs venue. And so actually, um, Natalie just did a, a show uh, there before the most recent uh, shutdown uh, last, a week ago today. Isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah, it was the last show before the the most recent version of the shutdown. Um, we Birdland uh, opened again about two weeks from, so I guess about three weeks ago now from here, um, and um, really they were doing a great job. I, mean, I was really impressed with how well they managed to keep all the surfaces wiped down and clean and everyone masked, you know, except when they were eating or drinking Um, and tables spread far apart and partitions between the tables downstairs. And I mean, they really had worked very hard and and were very diligent about it. And um, so I felt very safe in that space. And um, I was lucky enough to get to do a show last week with, uh, with John Weber. Um, the last night before shutdown again, and it was I. I was very gratified that a lot of the Birdland staff showed up for my show, um, above and beyond the you know the guests who were there, because um, I love that staff. I just I adore them. I've uh, that's been my home club in New York since two thousand and four. So yeah. it's it really is an extension of my family, and I adore them all. Um, and it was really lovely. I mean, at, at first I thought, you know, because we got the notification that we were shutting down again before the show, obviously, a couple days before, um, I thought it might be particularly melancholy or, um, you know, just a bit. Um, right. It, like some of the joy would be leached out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, that wasn't the case at all. Um, it really was lovely to have this wonderful reason to gather and um, sing some songs, some songs connected to the season, but not, it wasn't in particular a holiday show. It was just um, a a show of things I love. Um, So it it was really nice. I was very gratified to get to do it. And yeah, um, (laughs) I really wanted to be there. I'm sorry I couldn't make it, but I'm I'm so glad you did it. We'll be back. (laughs) We'll definitely be back. Um, But yeah, that's the same space that, um, they've been using for the radio free birdland series, which is the, their series that, that has been filmed in that space downstairs and then um, aired later. So uh, let's go back to the uh, upcoming Sondheim unplugged. Sure. Um, a little bit of a contradiction because you're going to be streaming. So not fully <laughs> unplugged, but right. uh, it's, that's it's just a, an acoustic uh, version that's going on. Yes. Um, yes. It's unplugged in the sense that it is not a uh, voice plus 
orchestra. It is, however, you know, amplified. We do use microphones um, <laughs> and electricity. You know, I mean, it is <laughs> not sung in the dark. Um, um, but um, and in this case, um, there was a, a really fantastic camera shoot. Um, I think there were they employed five cameras. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a full on, you know, TV production, basically. Um, uh, and again, you know, the staff at 54 Below, like, took really good care um, and precautions um, so that we didn't, uh, like, none of us were filming it at the same time. Uh, we were staggered throughout the day. Right. So. You only saw the performer who sang right before you and the performer who was, you know, right after you. Um, so uh, there are some thing, some people in the show that I won't actually get to see until I watch the show on the 26th. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it was it was really lovely. I mean, it, they just did a great job. And there is something that just thrills your heart when you get to sing this music. You know, it um, it just lifts you. And um, I got to sing a couple of my favorite songs um, that I can't exactly say what they are, maybe. But um, but one of them I learned for the occasion. Ah, so you had more than a few hours to learn it then. Yes. Um, okay. well, I think he gave me two days, <laughs> three days. <this> time. <laughs> so, yeah. Natalie, can I ask you, are you, are you not, not, not getting married today? <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting married today, though perhaps I'm not 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 not, not, not getting married today. Or perhaps I'm just not or not not. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, I'm not allowed to say. Um, so you can't say about you. Can you say about the person before or after you? Did you? Did you? <laughs> did you? Oh, nasty. <laughs> I, I, can, I can say that I know there. There. Don't be surprised if there are some, shall we say, follies moments. Mm, okay. Um, do, I mean, as I said, that is one of the things that Phil does so well. Um, he does a lot of research and has a lot of fun and funny um, stories to tell about the making of these projects, you know, and um, the no, people. But, but, but I mean, Phil, Phil Bond, he's, he's like 12 years old, though, isn't he? How, how does he know this? <laughs> he may have started Did he read it. this from Peter's Columns or something like that? <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, no, but, you know, like, like so many of us, it's, uh, I'm a big research person. You know, you were talking about my tribute shows. I, I read so many bios. And in the case of somebody like Elvis or Joni Mitchell or uh, Sammy Davis Jr., there are a lot of them. Um you know, it, there's something really fun about knowing the context in which a moment occurs. The music from Golden Boy, for example, for Sammy Davis Jr., is, is great music, and it's a lot of fun, and, you know, it's, it's excellent work. But um, knowing what was happening in Sammy's life when he was creating that, mm. um, working with Charles Strauss, and, you know, how hard he worked. And, and by the time previews happened, he had actually lost his voice from yes. singing so hard and working so hard and like on weekends flying to Vegas so that he could do shows out there. 
you know, just mm. working nonstop. I love finding out that kind of stuff. I love that info. And I think Phil's the same way, you know, um, he just finds these great stories about each one of the shows or about uh, Stephen Sondheim at that moment in his life or somebody else in the cast or, or, you know, Hal Prince. I mean, it just there, he has all these behind the scenes things that help to flesh out the story of the shows that we know, the songs that we know and love, you know, so completely. All right. Um, shows that we love. Um, now, given that you got here in the late 80s, that means that you missed the original productions of Sondheim shows, at least 12 of them. If yes. you could go back in time, which one? Uh, you only have one choice here. Which oh. one would you go back and see if you, uh, if you had to? Oh, oh golly. Oh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, <laughs> Apparently... Apparently, this is not an easy question. <laughs> no, no, it's definitely not. I, I mean, I, they're, oh, ah! Um, My. I will say. Yeah. <laughs> company? Okay, fine. Oh, okay. Fine. Yes. Right. That's my answer. answer. Natalie. <laughs> You have a uh, a master's degree in psychology from UCLA. Wow. Um, I mean, are you... It's a psych and theater. Wow. Excuse me? I made my own major. It's a psych and theater um, degree. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. So uh, did you have to write a... a, uh, a, a, a present a, a thesis, thesis paper? Uh, no, on? I did the exam option because I had created this... Um, yeah. my own sort of uh, program mm-hmm. I had to go before um, members of both departments and and do an oral exam well that's what I was going to ask you uh, when you went before people were they uh, theatrical people I mean did you walk in the room and Stephen Sondheim was sitting there and <laughs> yeah. he was like let's no. uh, talk about Fosca <laughs> <laughs> No, um, it was actually it was really cool I got to do an exam before um, my advisors in both departments, and then the um, the sort of I, I guess they would be the pan- the board, the panel in both departments. Um, so they had questions for me, and I did an oral exam for each. I had a day with each of them, um, and it was fun. I mean, I you know it's it's stories, theater mm-hmm. stories, and psychology stories, really uh, stories and theory and statistics, which I enjoy. Um, so I, I really loved it. I, I, I love school. I was good at school and I enjoyed school and um, I still really love research. I mean, I was 16 when I went to undergrad and then 19 when I went to grad school. Wow. Um, so I was uh, 20, almost 21 when I um, sat for my master's oral wow. exams. All right. We always hear that um, kids who get double promotions and all that kind of stuff um, have problems uh, on the nature of getting along with their f- uh, people in class because they're younger and they're not as mature. Um, mm-hmm. Did you run into any of that? No. Uh-uh. Okay. <laughs> um, the only um, <laughs> the only thing that it, the only way in which it affected me it was I, I went to um, girl school for um, third grade like technically sort of skip third grade, but uh, third grade through, through senior year. Um, so um, in freshman year, which wound up being my sophomore year technically, cause I skipped all of the, the freshman courses. Um, I was 16 years old and the way in which it affected me was that um, no boys would date me. 
Um, so I was everybody's baby sister, um, freshman year. Um, you know, but otherwise I didn't really, I mean, I was also, um, you know, everybody thought I was an egghead and, um, I got teased a little bit, but it was fine. You know, nothing, um, nothing unpleasant. They sort of adopted me, made me kind of a mascot. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was used to, um, um, my parents adopted me when they were much older. So, um, I grew up with my first cousins being like 30 years old, you know, 20 something. Um, so, I was used to being around adults, being around older people, mm-hmm. um, and not having peers who were necessarily my age, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it didn't, I don't think it affected me socially. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother always insisted that I went to a different school for summer school, uh, which is how I wound up graduating early in, in some ways, because I had so many units from all those summer schools. So one year I went to Le Lycée de Français à Los Angeles, and um, one year I went to, well, actually two years in a row, I went to Beverly High um, for summer school. Uh, so I had experiences going to school with boys and uh, going to school with people my age. So um, I, I don't think it really, you know, made me, it wasn't like I was 12, you know, I was just a couple years younger than the people around me. What's interesting there is that you probably didn't ask your cousins who were much older than you to buy you beer that you were like, can you take me to this cabaret? (laughs) No, I didn't ask them to buy me beer. I was actually, um, you know, we had family parties and um, my mom had a brother who had moved to Los Angeles from Texas in the 1920s to um, act, to work in Hollywood. And um, when my Uncle Jay got out to Los Angeles and realized that, you know, the only jobs he was going to get in film were um, carrying a spear or a tray as a butler um, or a shine boy, you know, he decided he didn't want to do that. So he became like uh, kind of a proto event planner. Um, he started working as a bartender and then started throwing parties for the celebrities that he knew, um, having met them on the lots. And, and so he started working for them and, and throwing their parties and catering and sort of gathering all the elements together so they could have a, a party. And so I grew up with him after he had retired he taught me to bartend when I was eight because they said a girl has to have a profession. And he put me up on a milk crate and put me behind a bar. Um, and, and then, you know, he would give me a bottle of champagne every time I went to his house from the age of like eight. Um, <laughs> I never drank, but you know, so there was no, like alcohol didn't have any mystique for me. It was, it wasn't something I was, you know, sneaking around ready to do. It was like, okay, that's a thing I can do. If I want to do, I don't have to do. Um, so I didn't have that like, ooh, I got to get the adults to get me some. You know, I had a selection of booze in the, in the fridge. Um, and to this day, I always have a cold champagne in the refrigerator. Um, um, but, yeah, I, I would ask them to buy me records. Um, I would ask them to – and I was always obsessed with, like, their fashion because I really, really wanted to grow up and be, like, a swinging kind of hippie, chicky, you know. And, um, I mean, it was the 70s. There was lots of fringe. Um, so, so I paid a lot of attention to them and kind of – I probably followed them around like a baby duck, you know, just wanting to, to be cool like them. 
<laughs> well, that's really uh, that's really great to have uh, adult relative friends that are able to blaze trails for you. Yeah. So the Sondheim and Plug thing is coming up, uh, available on Saturday, December 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and on demand uh, on December 27th through January 9th. We'll have a link to that in our show notes as well as links to uh, Natalie's website and all the other things that you are actually – you have another show today for Adelphi, don't you? Yes, that is also a a streaming event, um, which will air uh, this afternoon, I believe, at 5 o'clock. So uh, I think the tickets are on sale up until showtime. Um, And then um, we just – we're working last night figuring, you know, I have sung a New Year's Eve show um, at the duplex since 2001, 2002. Uh-huh. And before that, I used to do it at um, 88. So I've done something like 23 solid years of, of New Year's Eve. Um, so this year we decided just last night we are going to do a streaming event on New Year's Eve. Um just to, cause I, I, there are these people, I, it's gotten to the point now that I have kind of this family of people I see sometimes only on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I don't want to, you know, not celebrate with them. And in fact, um, let's see, six years ago now, two of my, um, a guy who had been one of my favorite regulars at 88, um, who is not from here, who lived, he lives in Georgia, came up with his uh, fiance and I married them in the early show at New Year's Eve. <laughs> um, he had read, so I think on Facebook, he had seen that I um, was an ordained minister. So he asked if we, he could get married at the show. And I said, Oh my God, yes, of course. That's fabulous. So um, they got married. It was, it was just so much fun. I had such a blast. The crowd was completely surprised. They didn't know it was going to happen. And uh, they came back last year to celebrate their fifth anniversary with me. And he just wrote me the other day and said, you know, it just won't seem like our anniversary without a Natalie Douglas show. So, um, so we're going to do a little something. I went to one of Natalie's New Year's Eve shows a few years back. It was just great. I didn't travel from Georgia. I only traveled from <laughs> town, but, but it was really wonderful. Michael, are you not getting married today? <laughs> if, if you do, you know who to call. <laughs> <laughs> well, Natalie, thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. We really appreciate you getting up on a Sunday morning and talking with us. As I mentioned uh, previously, the Sontime Unplugged show, Saturday, December 26th at 8 p.m., We'll kick it off, and then you can see it on demand from December 27th through January 9th at the 54 Below website, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Thanks so much, Natalie. Thank you for having me. We'd like to thank BetterHelp for continuing to sponsor Broadway Radio. We've been talking for a few weeks about BetterHelp and the benefits of talking with one of their professional counselors. I've spoken with many listeners throughout 2020, and I know that... The lack of being able to go to live theater has impacted all of us. From friends who work in the industry, not being able to pay their rent and put food on the table, all the way through fans who dearly miss the curtain rising at 8.07 p.m. as it gave them a respite from the everyday travails of life. The global theater community is just that, a community that we have all come to depend upon one another. BetterHelp can be a part of your community and help you make it through the hard times. Now, I'm not saying that your licensed therapist is going to sing before the parade passes by, but they will help you hold your head up high. BetterHelp will match you with your own licensed professional therapist 
but also recognizes that you may need to make a change, so they make it easy and free to change counselors. You can talk with your counselor in many ways, by phone, by video, by messages using the BetterHelp app, whatever suits your needs in a convenient, safe, and private online environment. Come on, give your best friend a break. They are not professional counselors, but BetterHelp is, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours without having to ever sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is available worldwide and is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. We know that 2020 has been hard financially, and financial aid is available. There's a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas. They have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, anger, stress, family conflicts, anxiety, LGBT matters, relationships, grief, sleeping, self-esteem, trauma, everything. Anything that you share is confidential. One thing to note is that BetterHelp is not a crisis hotline. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener to This Week on Broadway, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash broadwayradio. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash broadwayradio. We'd like to thank BetterHelp for continuing to sponsor Broadway Radio. Well, I have to say that I can't get enough of all these Sondheim things. I think it's really, really wonderful. I, and I, I don't want to sh- throw shade or anything, but we're not seeing the whole Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, re- retrospectives, are we? <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> the day will come when those do happen, though. Oh, absolutely, you know. Yeah, and, sure. and, and Andrew Lloyd Webber can point back to, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar Live. We're never going to see Passion Live, you know, mm. <laughs> not on the scope of NBC type no, of thing. No, no. But it was really wonderful to talk with Natalie and uh, and such a such a huge talent. Other talents that are out there, <laughs> they are uh, just amazing. Aaron Lazar's got a new album called Broadway Lullabies, and Peter, you've had a chance to listen to it. Oh yeah, um, Aaron um, is someone I knew from the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, who still holds the record for getting the most applause I've ever heard at the end of a, a number, which was 39 seconds uh, after he sang The Impossible Dream in You Know What. So um, since then, he's really gone on to have a very nice career. Uh, most people who saw him in Light in the Piazza are still talking about him. Um, but he's a daddy as well. And as a result, um, he has certainly given his uh, children lullabies uh, at night to put them to sleep. Uh, but I imagine they stay awake because they're so interesting. But he thought that this would be a nice idea for uh, an album. And he got some of his friends, uh, Ashley Brown, who went to CCM as well, and Nikki Renee Daniels, um, to to join him uh, on an album, Broadway Lullabies. Ashley, uh, who was Mary Poppins in Mary Poppins, uh, gets to sing a song that she didn't sing in the show, and that's Feed the Birds. So uh, Nikki Renee Daniels joins Jeff Creedy in doing Maybe from Annie. But, you know, it's really funny. Um, You know, there's that lyric about ashtrays in Maybe. Well, you know, we don't really have ashtrays in homes anymore. Um, I haven't seen one in a long, long time. So uh, the <laughs> the uh, word that was substituted for ashtrays is uh, is quite funny uh, in in the way that um, nostalgically, let's put it. And um, so as a result, I'm not going to say what that is, but I, I do think that uh, you'll enjoy hearing the substitution for ashtrays. Uh, we have Corey Cott doing River in the Rain. What a perfect 
song for him. Um, this is the song from Big River. And uh, Patina Miller does Not While I'm Around. And uh, you're glad that she's around when she does it. Um, Aaron does Till There Was You and does a beautiful job of phrasing. I'm glad to hear that he hasn't lost his instrument in the years that um, I've known him. Um, I'm so glad to see Casey Levi uh, doing You Walk With Me. I think this is such a beautiful song and it really deserves so much more attention. Um, the Full Monty certainly was a funny, funny show. And so many of the lyrics that um, David Yazbek wrote uh, really were, were laugh-inducing. I still remember the Titanic laugh um, after the lyric about um, Carly Simon and Carol King. And uh, but here uh, it's a tender song. You walk with me, and she does a beautiful job on it. Um, Kelly O'Hara is there too, so it's, oh, it's Kelly. yeah, indeed, doing good night, my someone. <laughs> um, so you know, really, um, in in a way, every decade from the 50s through now, because Adam Jacobs and Aaron do a song from um, Hamilton. Um, every decade is represented in, in a manner of speaking. You won't find a song from the 60s, a stage musical, but again, Mary Poppins was written in the 60s, so that counts. So, so it's a nice, nice survey of musical theater from the 50s to right now. And um, I do think that you'll have a wonderful time. You don't just have to use it to put your kids to sleep. You can use it to enjoy yourself amazingly from Broadway lullabies. Aaron, by the way, we all know and love him, I, uh, many of us do, from his theater work, but he has been, I'm happy to say, very active lately in film and TV, uh, 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 TV and the show Filthy Rich, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and he was in, and that's been during the pandemic, a lot of it, so they've, they've been able to continue working on that, and then he was in, uh, do you guys know, he was in Avengers Endgame and mm-hmm. Avengers Infinity yeah. War, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, he's doing really, really well, I'm happy to say. Let me give the website, because um, it's a tiny bit complicated, even though it's broadwaylullabies.com, which sounds uh, very matter-of-fact, there's uh, a dash or a hyphen, I never get that right, um, between Broadway and lullabies. So I think it's a hyphen. Yeah, yeah I have it in the show notes already. Okay. Uh, so you Good. can just go to the show notes and um, get, get Broadway lullabies. It was a, actually a Kickstarter project that uh, he began working on over the summer during the pandemic. So uh, it's very and it interesting. Came I, quickly, yeah. I mean, we should call Aaron and, see, and talk to him about this. Oh, he's kind such of, a lovely person. Yeah. I mean, Broadway.com had a great story on this called uh, Want Your Favorite Broadway Stars to Sing You to Sleep. Aaron Lazar has got it covered. (laughs) Uh, One of our uh, listeners messaged me that um, evidently I've forgotten that Michael and I interviewed Aaron Lazar. (laughs) Michael, do you remember that? (laughs) Uh, Just the two of us? Yeah, just the two of us. Peter wasn't Hmm. in that week. Back in 2012. Wow. uh, We interviewed Aaron Lazar. Let's get him back. Yeah. Let's get him back. Say hello. See how he's doing. Catch up with him. So... Michael, you've been, uh, uh, can I say that you're hanging out on 46th Street, sitting in the street, listen to to the girls go by? Well, that was was true uh, on one occasion recently. Uh, Um, Don't tell mama uh, the the, uh, very famous cabaret and piano bar on 46th Street on Restaurant Row, uh, had been continuing to do outside performances um, 
you know, even during the pandemic, I, 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 they may have stopped now with the weather having turned cold, or I'm not sure if, if they're continuing or, you know, on what basis. But anyway, um, Christine Petty, uh, the wonderful Christine Petty, uh, chose that as the venue for a show that she did called Snow Business. <laughs> and it was the one show uh, that I have attended during the pandemic la- last week. And it was filmed, uh, professionally filmed, and now available uh, for for streaming, uh, I I sent the link to James, and he included in the show notes, uh, so you can find it that way. It was a really wonderful show. Much of it, m- most of it, holiday themed, uh, including uh, Christine's amazing impressions of various uh, uh, wonderful singers and actors, from Angela Lansbury to Bernadette Peters to Dolly Parton. um yeah her lansbury is i mean first of all she's the only person i know who does lansbury and she does her so well that it's people gasp when she starts singing as angela lansbury i'm serious Mm -hmm. um so really i would check this out if you get a chance uh another thing i wanted to call people's attention to another holiday themed thing is a show that a friend of mine ron kaler uh wrote the uh, book and lyrics too, with music by Albert Evans, and it's called A Country Christmas Carol. And this show has been around for a while, um, not in high-profile venues so much. Actually, they were going to do it at the Grand Ole Opry um, this Christmas, you know, like now. And then, of course, it was canceled due, due to the pandemic. So I really hope maybe they'll get it up for next year. It's a wonderful show. Not to be confused with apparently another uh, show with the same title that has just uh, uh, surfaced and oh. has been uh, has has been uh, I've seen ads for, and that that one involves. Um, several major stars, but this is a, a wonderful show that I saw a production of quite some years ago, and they just did a radio drama version of it that was on WBAI yesterday, uh, and that will be available, I think, for streaming. And they also uh, had done a demo recording of it years ago, and now that demo recording has been uh, remastered and expanded, and that will be available soon. I really... Uh, urge you to check it out. It's a wonderful, very creative uh, adaptation of a Christmas Carol set in the in the in the U.S. in contemporary times, more or less, uh, in in the South. And there's just really wonderful touches. And it's Scrooge. It works in a bank. And uh, and a really interesting thing about the adaptation is that Cratchit is a woman who works for him. Her name is Bobby Joe Cratchit and mm-hmm. she's a single mom with two kids and uh, Jane and Tim uh, and they take part in a Christmas talent show. Um, Marley's ghost comes to S- Scrooge as a voice on the radio. And uh, it's a, it's uh, I would say it's a women's empowerment musical to a certain extent, but, but in a really uh, organic way, not, not, not a, uh, not a, you know, not as imposed on it. Bobby Joe has a very strong female friend uh, and uh, who bucks her up with a song called God bless us everyone. And, uh, uh, Oh no, no, I'm sorry. That's another song. God blesses. Everyone is a song that uh, Bobby Joe sings herself. And it's a beautiful, really wistful country ballad um, that she and her family sing. So uh, keep, I, I, I'll, uh, I'll send, um, 
I'll keep you posted on that because I don't think that the album is available quite yet, but it's, it's really one of the best adaptations of Christmas Carol that I've heard. The music and lyrics are just fantastic. Uh, and so I, I really wanted to call everyone's attention to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, mm-hmm. let me introduce you, uh, introduce you, interrupt <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to introduce Hi. you, Michael Portantier. <laughs> there we are. So uh, it, it, this was uh, done in WBAI a couple of days ago yes. um, with Hal Linden and Terry Mann. Yes. Uh, Tim Jerome. Um, and Heidi Carol Johnson is yeah. uh, sings Bobby Joe. And uh, they have uh, information at a countrychristmascarol.com. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And uh, it really is, is wonderful. And evidently, I have seen this production because they use a pull quote from me. Uh. <laughs> uh, I, I don't recall it, but I said really nice things about it. So, uh, yeah, really awesome. Um, a couple other holiday-related things I found um, – I've been doing more uh, searching for vinyl LPs, all vinyl LPs in secondhand record shops. And one thing I found was the cast album of The Dangerous Christmas of Red Riding Hood, mm-hmm. uh, which has a score by Julie Stein and Bob Merrill. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to say, I, uh, you can watch the whole show on YouTube, and I urge mm-hmm. you to do so. But I think the album is an even more pleasant experience um, for various reasons. There are some things about the show uh, when you watch it with, with an amazing cast of Liza Minnelli, Vic Damone, and Cyril Richard, among others. Uh, uh, the score is really quite wonderful. And I think, you know, I, I, if I were producers, I would look at this for, um, you know, stage production in, in the future. I, I wonder if there is a, a licensed version of it. I, I did not look that up. I um, think there is. I think it's yeah, I, on stage. I, I would not that, be surprised, Peter. I really would not be surprised. The opening, her opening number is terrific, uh, especially the B section uh, where she talks about all her neighbors um, who are uh, um, little Jack Horner and the, the three bears and all that, that they all live together. Um, so it was sort of like a precursor to Into the Woods, uh, or if you will, uh, influenced by Babes in Toyland. But um, it's a wonderful opening song. And um, one song, I'm Naive, Eve uh, has turned up in revivals of um, Sugar slash Some Like It Hot. So uh, you know that song um, already, but uh, that's where it actually came from, from, uh, from uh, Little Red Riding Hood. By the way, another we were talking uh, a week or two ago about Christmas uh, potential Christmas gifts for people, and I found something in an old record shop that I think I'm going to have to earmark for Peter Felicia. Oh my! <laughs> uh, have you heard of this? It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It's the official Boston edition of the cast album of Lacajo Foal. Hmm. Oh, do you mean it says "Thank you, Boston"? Uh, on yes. The yes, right. Yeah, th- wasn't that something? Uh, <laughs> Boston was very good to Lacaja Fall. Um, the reviews were sensational, and um, it became an immediate sellout at the Colonial Theater. And it was really very nice of them to do that—to actually um, do little stickers on the front of the album saying "Thank you, Boston." Isn't that something? I've never heard of any other show doing anything remotely like that. But yes, that is what happened. Do you have one? Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> My God, Eddie. Anything that has anything to do with Boston on it? I mean, I'm, I I treasure my years in Boston. Uh, 
when there were tryouts. Uh, so, um, so yeah, indeed. Oh yeah. I was, um, I, I'm not going to say I was first in line, but when I heard about that, I, I certainly was, uh, one of the first in line to get it. So, uh, but I appreciate the offer. Believe me. Well, all right. Well then maybe I'll earmark this for some other Bostonian. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> I hope but so. not only is there a sticker on the front, the label on the record is custom made and, and, uh, inside the album, I found a, a certificate. Yeah, uh, you know. All right, so you know all this. Uh, all right. All yeah, right. but our, our listeners don't. So I mean, <laughs> uh, not necessarily. So, so it's perfectly fine. Yeah, it was really, it was really quite something. Um, uh, what else? Did, oh, I have to um, corre- make a correction. I own apology to Nicole Kidman uh, <laughs> last week when we were discussing the prom. I really, I really misheard, and I played it back once to make sure I was right. But uh, one of our listeners actually told me. Uh, that in fact, no, she does say the line correctly, and it must just be that. Um, honestly, I, I think it's uh, her Australian ap- accent uh, creeping through. She uh, does say uh, putting her through her paces, uh-huh. uh, 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 not putting us through our paces. Uh-huh. Uh, and it sounded like putting because she says putting her. <laughs> yeah, I guess it sounded like us. I don't know, but uh, so so anyway, I I, I apologize uh, to her for that. I I I didn't think that she would make a big mistake like that, so I was surprised when I thought I heard it. Um, I'm pretty right sure out. they went back in Netflix and dropped it in to correct it and republished it on. You know, can you do that with uh, streaming movies now? You know, <laughs> you, you can fix stuff. You know. <laughs> Um, a couple of other uh, random things. Uh, I wanted to make our listeners aware, if they're not, that there's a movie that's out now um, called Wild Mountain Time. But uh, it was on Broadway not too many years ago under the title Outside Mullingar uh, by John Patrick Shanley. And he not only wrote but directed this film, uh, which stars Emily Blunt, Jamie Dornan, Christopher Walken, and apparently in a, in a new role created for the screen version, John Hamm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, the, the, the blurb is, headstrong farmer Rosemary Muldoon has her heart set on winning her neighbor Anthony Riley's love. The problem is Anthony seems to have inherited a family curse mm-hmm. and remains oblivious to his beautiful admirer. Stung by his father's plans to sell the family farm to his American nephew, Anthony is jolted into pursuing his dreams. Um, and it is a, an adaptation of Outside Mullingar, which ran on Broadway in 2014. Um, uh, little notes I found online. John Patrick Shanley previously wanted Emily Blunt to play Sister James in the film of Doubt. Um, but th- that didn't uh. happen. But now she's in this. And uh, apparently, um, just a caveat, the Irish press has expressed shock and disappointment <laughs> at the horrible Irish accents in this film prior to its release. <laughs> mm. So that's their opinion on it. I guess they're probably more sensitive to that than many of us would be. Mm. Um, but you might want to check it out, uh, especially if you saw Outside Mullingar. Uh-huh. On Broadway, and then finally, um, you know, we we certainly have to mark the passing of Anne Ryan King, which I think was a shock to a lot of people. I, as far as I know, she had uh, not; it, there had not been no announcement that she had been ill. Does anyone know I, otherwise? I agree. I agree. Yeah, um, and she really was one of the singular talents, of course, of our time. Uh, 
most famous to most people for as a performer. But I have to say I, that I also saw her uh, some of her work as a choreographer. Well, many people did, of course, because she she um, did the choreography for the the current marathon running revival of Chicago, which is in the style of Bob Fosse, but not but not a complete recreation of his work. It, it's a lot of Anne Reinking in there as well, and of course she worked with Fosse so closely for many years and, and was very closely involved with him on a personal level. So she was the one to do that. And, and, um, and all of that work will live forever. But also I saw and choreographed the version of the production of the visit that I saw at the signature theater, uh, down at, in Arlington, Virginia, some years ago. And I have to say that I, I really think that her work was superb in that and I'm sorry that that choreography did not survive in the Broadway production, although it did um, survive some of it in a one-night uh, performance of The Visit that had been done a, a few years earlier as a, a benefit on Broadway. Did you see that one, Peter? Yes, indeed. And I also yeah. saw The Visit in uh, Signature, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, the, the thing is that um, this was one of the few people in show business you never heard a bad word about. Um, everybody who met her, and this includes me, um, felt that she was so warm and outgoing that you, you really were making a friend for life. But the one thing I remember was August 27th, 1977. Uh, this is the original production of Chicago, and Anne Ryan King and Lenora Nemitz are in it. And um, Anne's playing Roxy, as she would later do again, and Lenora was playing uh, Velma, of course. And um, it's the last night for both of them. Both of them are leaving the production now. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, really, um, Lenora Nemitz had been with it every minute since uh, rehearsals. Uh, she was the cover for um, Roxy, not Velma, but Roxy, and had to go on when uh, Gwen Verdon was, was ill. And so, you know, when Velma takes the stand, after she does that, Roxy comes on and says a few words and says, right. in my opinion, she says, it stinks. That night, in Ryan King came on and said, Velma, that was really good. <laughs> now, again, you know, I, I'm sure that, you know, if Bob Fosse were there that night and Fred Ebb and John Kander, they may have taken issue with that. And I'm sure the audience was somewhat confused that these two enemies um, would indeed uh, have this interaction. But it was just nice to see. Uh, this is live theater. And I mean, I knew the show well by that point. I was crazy about the original production of Chicago many, many, many times. But to see this, um, that there was this human moment was just so wonderful. And ironically enough, um, when B.B. Newworth was leaving the revival, um, Anne Ranking, after the same number, um, the final night, uh, said to her, oh, that was terrific. Why don't you do it again? And Phoebe uh, Newworth actually looked at the audience and said, well, she's the choreographer. And so, you know, meaning she's my boss. So she did it again, which was really something. And Hal Hackety um, used to talk about the fact that when she was in Good Time Charlie, when they were in Philadelphia, there was a moment where a piece of scenery hit her while she was doing a dance. And she was really severely hurt. And she would not stop the number. She just kept going. And like when she was off stage, she almost fainted. But, uh. but she would not stop doing it. And they waited for her. Good Time Charlie was supposed to happen a little bit earlier. But what had happened was another injury when she was doing Over Here, John Minio. Um, dropped her during a number and oh. she was, they actually had to call the ambulance and Maxine Andrew actually said to her, I am told, um, 
listen, you think this is bad. Don't forget in your next show, you're Joan of Arc. They're going to burn you with a stake, um, which I thought was a weird thing to say while you're waiting for an ambulance, but supposedly <laughs> that's what happened. And so, uh, you know, really, uh, she, she kept going, and, but they waited for her to do Good Time Charlie, and, um, you know, which was really quite something. So, yes, um, we hadn't seen her in a long time. She had retired, in essence, and had gone to Paradise Valley, Arizona, and that's where she died. But, you know, these days, 71 is much too young for a death, and that's uh, really a very sad loss. Yes. So, uh, PS Classics has got uh, two of our favorites coming up for uh, Christmas here on December 25th. They're going to release uh, All the Girls. Michael, tell us about that. Oh, I, I really don't know much about it, except that it's a new album with Rebecca Luker and Sally Wilford. And, of course, Rebecca is seriously ill and uh we're i think we're all thinking about her and mm-hmm. her husband danny mm-hmm. bursting at this holiday time mm-hmm. and i just you know so that press release really really struck out at me when i saw it uh it's a new album from ps classics and uh that was i i guess uh based on a show that they did somewhere and i have to find out more about it, but I wanted to just let people know about it. Hmm. Well, for that matter, um, speaking of Christmas, there's another present coming, and that's uh, Walter Willison, who was in the original cast of Two by Two, is um, and he was playing the young son, then the youngest of the sons, um, is now playing Noah in something that will be streaming um, on Christmas Day and a few days afterwards. So that's worth looking into. Two by Two is a terribly underrated show, and it certainly was tarnished by Danny Kaye's strange behavior during the run. Strange is even a euphemism, but but anyway, that's happening so you might want to look online and find out how to uh, access that because um, there's a lot of nice people involved with it yes including uh walter called me last night about the show and uh two of the people in it are these two fantastic guys who are in romeo and bernadette uh nikita burstein and or burstein i'm not sure how they pronounce it i really should find out and michael noder donato and walter said something to the effect of uh nikita is going to be playing the role that that walter created and singing i do not know a day i did not love you and he said he's the first person something like he's the first person other than me <laughs> you know who i've liked in the role or something like that uh, so that uh, and he is a wonderful wonderful performer they both are all of those all of those people are so that's something you really might want to check out yeah, karen ziem is involved too so um yes it's not it's not uh also rands it's some really great yeah, people yeah yeah um uh, theater pizzazz theater pizzazz uh, and it's youtube Dancing. channel yeah um so uh take a look at that uh, it'll be a nice christmas present and um if you want to donate to the actors fund as a result of seeing it that would be nice too so all right so that wraps it up for this week before we get on to trivia which you're all hanging on I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayvideo.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts. You can listen to Broadway or Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. I also wanted to say that uh, over the last, um, I guess, nine months or so, uh, we've had tremendous amount of support from our Patreon supporters. And uh, just at the end of the year, it's 
uh, we wanted to thank everybody who has supported Broadway Radio, as well as all of our sponsors that have come on board uh, this year, uh, BetterHelp and ExpressVPN and all the other folks who have sponsored us all throughout this year. So uh, even if you're not interested in the various offerings that uh, our sponsors are offering, it would be great if you clicked on their links from our show notes to let these sponsors know that at least you did hear the ads. And all we can say is get to their webpage and check out the, their offers. And if it's for you, great sign up. If it's not for you, that's great too. But let, let's let everybody know that we, uh, that we do have listeners li- that are hearing this sponsor's message. So Peter, do you have an answer for last week's trivia? Yeah, Porgy and Best was greatly inspired by a person associated with the source material. But one might inadvertently and incorrectly associate this individual with a Rogers and Hammerstein classic. Who's the person and why would this mistake be made? Well, Dorothy Hayward co-wrote the play Porgy, on which Porgy and Bess is based. But in 1943, she co-wrote a play called, yes, South (laughs) Pacific, which only ran five performances. Six years later, Rogers and Hammerstein must have assumed that no one would remember it and thus felt free to use the title. It's amazing to me to think of that. Uh, Imagine a a flop play of just six years ago having the name of a musical now. But anyway, that's what happened. Tony Janicki was the first to get it, followed by Ingrid Gammerman, Richard Carey, and Brigadude. This week's question, virtually every musical has a noun in its title. But I'm looking for one that was in the title of a musical from the 70s. Now, some years before it opened, Sondheim had written a song that used the same noun as a preposition. What's the 70s musical, the Sondheim song, and the show from which it came? I wasn't going to ask this this week, but uh, given that we're talking so much about Sondheim, I, I thought it would be an appropriate one to ask. So, so that's why you get it this week. All right. If you have an answer for this, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. He loves me so, that funny honey of mine. He ain't no chic, that's no great physique. Lord knows he ain't got the smarts. Oh, but look at that soul. I tell you that hole is a whole lot greater than the sum of his parts. And if you knew him like me, I know you'd agree. Why does the world slander my name? Why he'd be right there taking the blame. He loves me so, and it all suits me fine. That funny, sunny, honey, hubby of mine. A man's got a right to protect his home and his loved ones, right? Of course he is. So I come in from the garage, officer, and I see him coming through the window Uh with my wife Roxanne there sleeping like an angel. He loves me so. An angel. That funny, honey, of mine. I mean, suppose him... Just supposing he had violated her or something, you know what I mean? Violated? I know what you mean. Or something? 
me think how terrible that would have been. It's a good thing I come home from work on time, I'm telling you that. I say I'm telling you that. He loves me so, that funny honey of mine. Name of deceased, Fred Casely. Fred Casely? How can he be a burglar? My wife knows him. He sold us our furniture. Lord knows he ain't got the smarts. She lied to me. She told me he was a burglar. You mean he was dead when you got home? Yeah, she had him covered with a sheet, and she's giving me that cock and bull story about this burglar, and I ought to say I did it, because I was sure to get off burglar. Huh? Now he shot off his trap. And I believe I her. can't stand and that sound. So she was Look too tired. Go. Oh, 